Matthew chapter 15, verse uh, 21 uh, through the end of the chapter. Uh, Let's pray, and then we'll begin. Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the gospel of Matthew. I thank you, Lord. Um, It's been such a a rich encouragement to me as I have um, been studying through this gospel. Um, Lord, this gospel that that you used, uh, this tax collector, Matthew, um, that your spirit led him, inspired him, gave him the words to write um, with a heart of reaching the Jewish people. And so, Father, as we, as the majority of us are Gentiles uh, by DNA, and so, Lord, we come to this, uh, this text thankful, Lord, um, for the many prophecies that were fulfilled, uh, for the many authentications that this Jesus um, unlike any other person in human history, that that he indeed fulfilled these prophecies, affirmed and demonstrated that he is the Christ, that he is the promised Messiah, and that in him we have life. And so, Father, I pray for each one as we uh, go through this passage today, Lord, we ask that you would illuminate uh, the the meaning of the text, that you would, uh, by your Spirit, Lord, show us practical applications for our life, Um, uh, Lord, that we would be encouraged um, by these two stories that we'll look at today. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 15, uh, verse 21. Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me. Lord, son of David, my daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread And throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord. But even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall at their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Departing from there, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee. And having gone up on the mountain, he was sitting there. And a and a And large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others. And they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the crippled restored, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the people. Because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry, for they might faint on the way. The disciples said to him, Where would we get so many loaves in this desolate place to satisfy such a large crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven and a few small fish. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fish, and giving thanks, he broke them 
and started giving them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to, all the, pe- to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, seven large baskets full. And those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And sending away the crowds, Jesus got into the boat and came to the region of Magadan. Father, we do thank you for the story. I thank you for the, um, the beautiful story, Lord, of your compassion. I thank you, Lord, for the faith um, that's demonstrated in, in uh, really two people's lives in this story. Father, I pray that you would help us as we navigate this passage. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. I, uh, I must be tired or something, that story I've been studying. And this, this is a really a beautiful story of, uh, uh, of there's two people. There's, there's one person who we see, this woman who has a, a daughter that's uh, cruelly demon-possessed. And then there's another person who's not mentioned in this story, but this, this story is in many ways is about this other person. And so I'm going to share with you uh, who this other person is. We've, we've already looked at this man's life. And, and the second story, in many ways, is sort of um, fruit of his obedience to Christ early on in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, th- this is a, this is a, th- this, this story here um, moves me, uh, and it should matter. I mean, all of the stories matter to us. But, but for those of us who are who are Gentiles, which is virtually all of us, um, Jesus came. Uh, as the Messiah to the nation of Israel. He came to his own, John tells us, and his own received him not. And so in this story, in the midst of the Pharisees and scribes and the Pharisees and Sadducees, this is sort of sandwiched in to to a number of attacks um, against Jesus. And and the story involves a bunch of Gentiles. These are not people that Jesus was 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 called to in his first thing. That's not saying that he wasn't doesn't care about all people, um, but he was focused in his mission, as as we'll we'll look at here. But we see that his compassion and his reaching out to those who are really outside of uh, of his ministry to these Gentiles, and it's encouraging to me. It's it's encouraging to see uh, how he moved this this whole story today. The only Jews in the story are Jesus and the twelve disciples. Everybody else is is Greek. They're Gentiles. Um, they were they were hated, really, by the nation of Israel. Um, and so we'll look at verse 21 here. So Jesus went from there, and he withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. So I want to just, I have a different map up front here with with big, big, air, big circles and stuff to help you see. Um, right here is the Sea of Galilee, um, the very northern part of, of Israel. There's a river, the Jordan, that flows from north to south down into the Dead Sea. Um, Today's story begins somewhere up here, and we're told that Jesus makes the trip up to Tyre, and Sidon is, is up north. It's not on the map, but that, that circle, the red circle on the upper left, that's, that's the region of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre is uh, 35 miles from the Sea of Galilee. Sidon is 60 miles uh, from the Sea of Galilee. Um, so it's a short distance. This is modern-day Lebanon. This is a, a region that is outside of Israel. This is a region, um, if we follow historically through the, the Bible, uh, th- this was a region that there, when King David and King Solomon were on scene, uh, there was a, 
a, a very good relationship, that they were very cordial with one another. But then shortly thereafter, the people went into a sort of a, um, worship of false gods of Baal and then Ashereth, and, and they really became enemies with Israel, that there was much hatred from them to Israel, and it was really reciprocated. Um, when, when Israel was taken into captivity, we're, we're told that they rejoiced, that, it was, that they, were, they were glad that Israel was basically hauled away and taken into captivity. And so there's, there's tension between these two groups. And if we were to read in Mark chapter 7, verse 24, I don't have the quote here, I didn't read the quote, but if you were to go there, there's sort of the the, the counter story or the Mark's account of the story. And there we're told that Jesus went up to this region to sort of get away from everybody, that he literally, he gets there, he goes into a house and they close the doors and they're basically hiding from everybody that they could have some privacy. Uh, Jesus had, you know, every week Jesus seems to be sort of looking for a little retreat, looking to get his guys rest and, and bad news. John the Baptist's head gets cut off. The crowds come to him. All of these things keep happening. And, and so we get the picture that he's trying to get up to this little, these, these Mediterranean towns for the sake of spending some time with his disciples, uh, disciples to, to minister to them, to get some rest, to sort of disengage from all of the crowds. And so our story picks up while he's up there, and we're told this Canaanite woman from, the, from that region. So we're introduced to this woman. We don't know her name. Matthew, uh, it's interesting, he introduces her as a Canaanite woman. If you know how... Uh, Israeli history from the Old Testament, uh, when they went into the, the, you know, the land of milk and honey, who were there? The Canaanites. And they were supposed to decimate them. They were supposed to clear them out of the land. There is, there is, the, there is the, there's not good relations between Jews and Canaanites. Um, Matthew intentionally uses the word Canaanite because every Jew who is the target audience of this book, they would understand ex- exactly what he says when he says, this is a Canaanite woman. This is somebody that we don't like, we don't engage with, we, uh, we, we don't like her. Other writers refer to her as sort of Seraphonician. Uh, uh, and this speaks to her, um, the region that they're in, that would, that would speak of um, the district that she resided from, her nationality, sort of where she came from, sort of under the... Um, under the, uh, the, the banner or the rule of Rome. And then others refer to her as being a, you know, a Greek, which is also true because when Alexander the Great conquered the world, he spread the Greek language. And so today's story, in his interaction with this lady, it likely was all in Greek, that, that Jesus spoke Greek to her, which was sort of the, the trade language. It's sort of um, you know, what English has become around the world. If you fly in a plane anywhere in the world, they, what they speak to the tower, it's all in English. And so it wasn't their heart language, but everybody spoke it. And so Jesus likely is, she wouldn't have spoken Aramaic, their, their, their language that they were speaking. Um, but so this whole thing probably was happening in Greek. It would just make sense that she would be speaking Greek. Um, and so we're told that this woman, we, we get some insight about her, and a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out. I mean, this lady is, uh, we get the picture that she's loud. She's crying out. She's asking for help. Um, she's coming to Jesus. I, I, I wish that the scriptures gave us more insight. Was she outside of the house? Was she banging on the door? Did she make her way in? We, eventually, she makes her way into Jesus, or Jesus went out to her. We don't, we don't have the colorful details. But she's crying out, and Matthew tells us that she's crying out a, 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 a few things. Um, she's crying out, let's see here, crying out, saying, Have mercy on me, 
Lord, son of David, my daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. So we see some things that she says. She, she, first, she calls out for, have mercy on me. Mercy is sort of withholding wrath or withholding judgment of some sort that you deserve. Um, it, it's simply not giving the consequence. And so she's pleading for herself that Jesus would have mercy on her, that he would withhold this consequence. She then somehow in her title of him, she has good theology. I mean, she has some understanding for this, for being a Canaanite woman. She comes to Jesus. She says, Lord, sort of subjecting herself to him, acknowledging her place in comparison to him. And she says, son of David. So she references this Davidic covenant that King David, way back when God made this eternal covenant with King David that Jesus ultimately fulfilled about this kingdom. And so she rightly identifies Jesus. She's not a Jew. She's, she's not even converted to Judaism. She's a Canaanite woman who's pleading for mercy for her, herself. And, and then she addresses Jesus. Good theology. Everything we want to see, right title, she's saying, Lord, that means that she's bowing herself before him. She says, uh, son of David, she's, she's affirming that she believes that he is the promised Messiah that was to come um, through this Davidic covenant. And then we get to her plea over what she's, act, like the, the issue that she's pleading for mercy on. She says, my daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. Now, there's a couple of things here um, that I just sort of find interesting. Um, <clears throat> and I could be making too much of this, but, th- but this woman is pleading for mercy for herself. This prayer is for her. But then her request has to do with her, her, her request has to do with her daughter and that her daughter is experiencing this, um, th- this demon possession that, that, that we don't have insight, but we, we see that it's cruelly demon-possessed. So you get the impression that bad things are happening to her daughter. And she's, she's crying out to Jesus, Lord, have mercy on me, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. And I, through this story, as we see people come to Jesus, they're saying, hey, Jesus, my son, can you please help my son? Can you help this person over there? This, this is going on. Please, I know you can do it. Just say the word and the person will be healed. This story has a lot of, I don't want to say a lot of similarities, mainly because there's a Gentile that we're talking about, a Greek that's being involved. I'm reminded of the story earlier with the, the centurion in Capernaum when, when he goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, you have authority. I'm a man that has people under me. You just say the word and heal. I, I, if my memory's right, it was his servant. He had a young boy that was in his house. He's like, please, could you just help him? And so the request is for the individual that has the demon possession. But this lady, a mom, a, a, a parent who has a child that's hurting, th- like the request is kind of for herself, like that she's being tormented as is her daughter in the request. If her daughter could only be healed from this demon possession, then she herself would be freed from the misery that she's going for. It's a, this is a gut-wrenching story if you really think about what this lady's going through. And so when I read this story up to this point, I think, okay, we know Jesus. We've seen him over again. He's a, he, is, he is the Messiah with all sorts of compassion. He's healing people, doing works that, like really his, his miracles that by his account to John the Baptist's disciples is that he's doing these things to authenticate his messiahship. 
He doesn't necessarily, he'll find himself in places he's not meaning to heal people, but he sees him. He's so moved within himself that he heals. And so I look at this story and I think, okay, here we go. They're up there. There's nothing new with this story. Wherever Jesus goes, there's needs. People, he's popular. They, they go to him. They cry out to him. And so here we have this lady. She's falling down, at least at this point, you know, emotionally, um, in, 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 in essence of how she esteems herself in relation to Jesus, she's bowed down before him. She has good theology. She acknowledges him as the son of David. Uh, she has a really solid case, like her daughter is demon-possessed, and bad things are happening. So I just think, oh, the Jesus I know, he's going to say, hey, good job, just go, <laughs> and, and it'll be well with you. Your daughter's taken care of. That's just what I expect to see. But, but what do we read in verse 23? But he did not answer her a word. Jesus just totally gives this girl the cold shoulder. Like, I, I, I so wish we could see body language. I wish we could see anything to help us indicate. Because Jesus is, how he reacts to this girl doesn't fit sort of the Jesus that we know in the picture that sort of comes to mind. But he doesn't, he doesn't say a word to her. It doesn't indicate that he acknowledges her, and he's just sort of going along with whatever he's doing. I've, I've mentioned it for, for, you know, a couple times. Like, I'm really trying to spend time in the Word this year, trying to grow. I know, like, a, like you know, every pastor we should be. Like, I'm just really convicted to spend time in, in the Word this year. And so I've been going through the Psalms a lot. And as I've been going through the Psalms, um, it strikes, it stood out to me that all through there, the psalmist, whether it's David or whoever, there's all of these psalms about the individual just sort of like pleading with God, would you hear what I'm saying? I'm calling out to you, Lord, help me, listen to me, please. All of these bad things are happening. Would you please respond? Would you give me some sort of indication that you hear me, that you're, that you're like going to respond? And I think that this lady's before him, and she's like, she's made her case. She's pleading. She's made this spectacle, and he just is like, she's not even there. And as I'm thinking about this story, as I consider what this woman's going through, and, I, and watching how this story unfolds, and considering how Jesus interacts with people who come to him, he seems to put barriers before people. And, it, and these barriers are, are sort of opportunities for the individual to sort of demonstrate their faith to Christ. You know, like the young rich ruler that comes to Jesus, he, he asks Jesus some questions. He says, what do I have to do? I have to do this. And Jesus puts this impossible task. Well, go ahead and just get rid of everything that you have. And the guy's like, I'm sorry, I can't. And he walks away. And in looking at this story, I wonder how Jesus would have responded to the person's like all of these people. I mean, I bring up the young rich ruler, but there's story after story after story about people who go to Jesus and say, I got to bury my dad. And the person walks away or follow me and they come up with excuses. And here we see a person that Jesus gives a cold shoulder to and it's like, well, maybe she'll just walk away. There's no indication that she walks away. Like, like really, like as this, there's, we see that her faith, like this, this cold shoulder of Jesus is almost Jesus testing her, like seeing, well, what's your faith? Are you just here for a lucky trinket, to like, you know, a little rabbit's foot? You call, me, you call me son of David, but really you're a Gentile, and you have no claim to that promise. 
Like, like the, the, the Davidic king, like this is to Israel, and she is outside of Israel, and these promises are, are not to her. So I, clearly through the story, we see that this, this, this silence is an, is an opportunity to demonstrate her faith. I, I'm thinking, of, yeah, I mean, it's really a stretch, but check engine light, total opportunity. And I may or may not have handled it the best, like in my heart. Like, I wish I could have told you, like, I was just like, Oh, this is like, Lord, no problem. Saturday afternoon, all the shops are closed by now. Like, there's no, uh, yeah. I, Lord, I leave on Monday. This, this is wonderful. And we have family coming into town who's like, yeah. That's not how I was thinking. <laughs> Kids, be quiet. Dad is freaking out right now. <laughs> like, dad is like. And when the story was all said and done, like, the, the mechanic that, who could handle the, like, he was already closed, but he happened to be there. And he said, oh, yeah, I take it, no problem. Like. So, so God really, like, and I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm thinking about this text. I'm like, I don't think I responded the best to this. The tree I handled much better because that was totally out of my hands. Like, like <laughs> what am I going to do? My little, like, little chainsaw with Home Depot all night? Like, I don't, like this is, like, oh, that's, I handled that one much better. Um, but I think that here, here this woman is presented with this barrier, and how is she going to respond? I, Maybe it's a te- like Jesus seems to. Te- I mean, he he throws these things out to see how people will respond. I don't know if that's what's happening here. We don't. I mean, we have silence. He's just not speaking. But I'll say that Jesus is. We're, we're, it's just going to get kind of worse for the girl. Um. The girl continues. His silence doesn't stop the lady from ple- like crying out to him, pleading with him. I think that there's a a lesson here in 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 prayer. You know, Jesus tells the parable about the the. the the widow that just wouldn't shut up, and finally, just to quiet her up, he responds, and he he uses that as an illustration to to us that hey, that's how you're supposed to pray. Like, don't give up, just keep praying. Don't like God will hear you. And so she's continuing, and I don't know whether to laugh at the disciples or think, man, these guys are like not very nice. So she's clearly crying out. Jesus is ignoring her. And the disciples came and implored him, like begging him, send her away. She just keeps shouting at us, like, or you can translate it behind us. But there's this idea that they're going about their business, and this woman will not give up. And the disciples have tried to send her away. They've tried to do all sorts of stuff. And Jesus, they come to Jesus like, Jesus, can you do something about her? Make her go away. I hope you, there's, it's sort of funny to me, or maybe I have a bad sense of humor. But it's like, you guys, like, that doesn't seem like the Jesus-y thing to do. But here Jesus is ignoring her. And they're like, and then Jesus in verse 24, he answered and said, now, now the implication or the, like, what I understand is that Jesus is addressing his disciples. Like, he's not necessarily dealing with her, although it's, it's natural to assume that she would hear what he's saying because the thought is that she's so close. <clears throat> and verse 24, <clears throat> But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It's like, hmm. How, like, how, how do we handle this? This, this? this sounds so much like back in, remember back in Mark, Matthew chapter 10, when he sent out his disciples, and he said, I'm sending you all go... Um, like, like limit your short-term mission trip to the house of Israel. Like you're, you're going to the Jews. 
And here he says to them, like, listen, this, she's, a, she's, she's a Gentile. Um, she's a Canaanite woman. Like, I'm up here. Um, some speculate, well, Jesus is up, Jesus is up there um, for the sake of, of ministering to, to his disciples to prepare them. You know, they're, they're now at the year mark of his death, burial, and resurrection. Um, and they're coming, like, can you get her away? He's like, listen, this is, this is my, I'm up here for this purpose. It does make you wonder, like, if, he's, if this is all a big test for them, for her. Um, you know, Jesus is God. Like, I don't think he's surprised that this lady's here. So, may, like, I, it's hard to know. And so as he basically says, listen, I'm here for the house of Israel. Like, I, I, I don't have time. Like, you get, I don't have time for her. But what he, whatever he said, it didn't just discourage her from continuing her approach to Jesus. Like, as he's saying this, you get the picture that she's getting closer and closer to Jesus. And as she's getting closer and closer to Jesus, she's falling on her face, prostrating herself before him. In verse 25, but she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. Can't help but to think of, I think Peter prayed the same prayer. I should have gone back and looked at the actual verbiage, but it's, but now she's like, Lord, help me. Help me. I don't know what to do. Lord, I need your help. Help. I, I, I love this, this woman's determination. I love this woman's, like, we're going to see her great humility before the Lord that she bows down. I, I love this woman's um, persistence. I think I said that already. She doesn't seem to have any pride in how she's handling herself before these guys. All she knows is that he's God and she needs help. When I look at this story, one of the things I I really, these two stories are some of my favorite stories in the, in the New Testament. Um, because in so, so many ways, I, I think of like my own conversion to Christ. As I came to Christ, see, I wasn't raised in the church. I didn't do all the, um, all of the Christian things growing up. I was sort of on my own program and, and going my own way. And by the time I had reached um, 22 years old, I had made a number of, of significant poor choices um, from, from resisting evading arrest to abortion, to like a bunch of things that I had done where I was not a your Sunday school kid. And I remember sort of coming to church and, and feeling like such an outsider. Even as I gave my life to Christ, I felt so much like a second-class citizen. Not, not at all because of church people. That, like, it was in my mind that I had said, well, because of my past, I'm less than. And thinking about this story, I think of a good friend of mine, Dan, some last name I can't say. It's something like Multaloma. He, he, he's, he's from South Africa, and I met him in the doctoral program, and he is this, I would love to have him if I could ever get a hold of him um, to come here to share his story. And I met him, uh, he's, he's a pastor in Utah somewhere, and he, when he shared his story with me about, he was in um, the, the military, as, as, a, as a black man in South Africa, that eventually 
while in uniform, he, he basically fled with a, with a number of other military guys. And as he fled across the border, he was eventually apprehended by, by some group. Um, I forget which country it was north of there. But, but as, he was, as he was apprehended by these groups, he was taken sort of POW. Um, he tells the story of he and his like three or four guys that he went with, they were all basically hooded, uh, put down, and three or four of the guys next to him who were his buddies, they were all executed. And then he says he remembers his grandma sharing with him about this God of Abraham. And she, he, all he remembers when he was a little boy that his grandma said, when you get in trouble, you call out to the God of Abraham. And he just remembers saying, God of Abraham, help me, like not having any idea. And then he basically was able to break free of this camp and he fled to another thing. He eventually found it to his way to a U.S. embassy and they basically took him as a refugee, got him into the United States. He was taken in by a Christian family, but still wasn't a Christian. And, and, and his whole story of kind of, he remembers hearing the gospel for the first time. Some movie theater was written out and it was like a Billy Graham movie or something played. And there was like a free movie here. And then there was like a topless, like girls sort of club. And he's like, no, I want to go to this one, the, the one over Billy Graham. And, and, uh, and he, and he said that that was like the first time in his life, he said, because he had this moral decision to make between the strip club and this, this Christian movie, he said, it was the first time in my life that it had dawned on me that I must have a soul because I was always told as a black man, I was an animal and had no soul. And he went and saw this movie. He eventually gives his life to Christ. He started attending this white church, but he'd run out at the end of the service because he thought all the white people were going to kill him afterwards. And, and finally, some elder deacon tracked him down and like, literally chased him in the parking lot and said, why do you run away every week? He's like, I don't want to get in trouble. He's like, you're not in trouble. We welcome you here. And so I hear this guy's story. Like, this is this woman. She's on the outside. This is a Canaanite woman coming to these Jewish men pleading for her life. And so far, it's not, it doesn't seem to be going well. Jesus has given her the cold shoulder. Then when his disciples go to him and say, Jesus, would you just get rid of this lady who she's hearing this? Or, or maybe she's not. I don't know. Maybe they're speaking in heat, like Aramaic so that she can't understand. I notice people who don't speak my language sometimes will, like my wife. Although my Spanish is getting much better and she's concerned. But I know that I'm sitting there, she's on the phone with her mom and I'm listening. All of a sudden, she, like, this is when we first got married, she'd cross over into Spanish. And I'm like, oh, she's hiding something from me. She's like, what? And then like, a couple of years ago, she said something to her mom in Spanish. And I said, oh, so you're going to go do this, huh? And this and this. And she's like, oh, your Spanish is getting way better. Like, I got I to gotta be careful. And... Uh, so I don't know if they were doing that number with her. And he says, you know, I'm here for the, the, the house of Israel, like I, for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But then it doesn't slow her down. She's now falling at his feet, bowing before him, saying, Lord, help me. And then Jesus, in verse 26, he says, and he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. This is, like, what is he saying? And so what he's saying is, like, I'm here for the, the, like the, house, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I'm here to teach them. I'm here to equip them. I'm here to do this. You're not within. It's almost like he's, he's challenging her claim to the promise of the Davidic covenant because she sits on the outside of the boundaries. 
And he's saying, what you're, what you're asking me to do to come to you is the equivalent of you, you make a bunch of mac and cheese for your, for your children, and instead of giving it to your children, you place it on the food for your dog while the kids get nothing. He said, that's, well, he used bread, not mac and cheese, but I'm thinking of mac and cheese, or maybe a quesadilla would be a good, uh, kids eat a lot of quesadillas, and there's crumbs there. And now before we go too far, I, there's, there's, a, there's a word here that needs to be sort of highlighted. Now, the, now we know that the, the Jews refer to the Gentiles as dogs. And, and there's, um, the word that they would normally use is a word that would sort of refer to a feral dog that was out of control, was dangerous, was just, you know, just animals. But Jesus doesn't use this word. He, he uses the word for like a household dog or even like puppy. So this isn't like he's, he's coming down on her even like racially or anything like that. So don't, don't go there. But it, he's just saying like, well, like if you have kids and you make them food, you're not going to give it to the household, the puppy. Um, <clears throat> where am I at? Am I, uh, oh, yeah. So I don't, like when I get, make quesadillas, we don't just give it to the dogs. Our dog, like our dog Ladybug, that's one of her, how she, you know, we got chickens now. The chickens are going to earn their keep by producing eggs. The dog, she earns her keep by when the dinner time is over, she comes in the house and she's like the first round of cleaning the floors. <clears throat> that's how we do it. I know like for those of you that know Bob and Pat Towsley, that's not how they do it. I remember years ago, you know, my old, our old dog, Linus. We went somewhere and we were like short of babysitters and Linus was a little bit heavy and so we were trying to get him on a restrictive diet to kind of get him so he can walk a little bit. And, uh, but I was out of places to, for him to go. And so I remember I called Pop, Pat Towsley and I said, hey, are you guys, you know, are, are, are you guys up for, for, for watching our dog while we're gone? And I, oh, we would love to watch Linus. Just bring him over. He'll just fit right in the clan. And so when I dropped him off and I said, hey, Bob, now just, just two, two cups of food in the morning. He's like, not in my house. He's like, I'm going to get up. I make myself eggs, bacon, sausage every morning. And the dogs, they get a part of it. Like, I make, I make enough for me and the dogs. And we all eat breakfast together. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so Linus gained some weight there. But, but, but all I'm saying is that's not how it works in my house. I understand that some of us, we treat our animals a little bit differently. And Jesus is saying, like, listen, we don't even, that, that's, that's not how we do it here. Um, she wouldn't give up. I love her response. In verse 27, she says, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. This lady's good. She, she says, yeah, but even the dogs, like even the household pets, when, when we're eating, they're allowed to be at the feet of the children and any scraps that the dogs don't eat or anything that falls off the table, they're allowed to consume. And so she, like, there's a couple observations. This is amazing thing. We're talking about table scraps and dogs and animals, but this is this lady's humility. There is no pride in her. She understands she's outside of Israel. Jesus is giving her the cold shoulder. Then Jesus tells the guys, listen, I'm here for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then finally, as she's like at his feet, he's like, listen, it's not right to give the bread to the dogs. The bread that was designed for the children to give to the family pet, 
you don't do that. And she's like, Lord, but even the dogs are allowed the crumbs that fall off the table. I understand I'm a Gentile. I understand I'm not a part of the Davidic covenant, but even the animals are allowed to eat the scraps. So just give me the scraps. I am not making any huge demands on you. I'll take whatever you give me. This is beautiful. In, in Mark chapter, Mark's account in verse 29 in the New Living Translation, which I really like the translation, it kind of brings stuff to, to color. Like after she gives a response, the New Living Translation records Jesus is saying, good answer. <laughs> like he's like, wow, this lady's good. Like I didn't see that coming. Well, we know Jesus is God. He sees all things coming. But he's like, man, that is, that's a brilliant answer. And in Matthew, Jesus says, and Jesus said to her, oh, woman, your faith is great. Before we go over this, um, people's faith all through the New Testament is sort of, Jesus confronts a lot of people's faith. Um, like just recently, we, since we, Jesus, Peter just a few chapters ago said, what, Lord, help me. And then what happens? He starts to sink. And what did Jesus say? Oh, you have little faith. So Jesus normally confronts people to their faces about their, their failing faith or their immature faith or their, like, their, their faith isn't what it's supposed to be. This is the only account in all of the Gospels where Jesus, it's the only one where any individual from the lips of Jesus heard, your faith is great. Now you might think, well, what about the centurion? Well, you remember, he, he basically, it's Dave Bishop's favorite story because as a military man, he's like, oh, it was a, it was a Gentile soldier who, who said that in all of Israel, I have not seen such great faith. But the guy was gone when Jesus said it. He said it about that man, but he'd already departed. And he told the disciples that in all of Israel, he hasn't seen such great faith that he saw in this centurion. This one, he looks at her. He goes from not speaking to her to trying to tell her that he's only there for like the, the lost sheep of Israel to the bread. To then she just keeps going to me. He says, oh, woman, your faith is great. This is beautiful. Like, I, like did she, was she crying at this point? Like, I, I read this during, like, I didn't see, I got all emotional. I got choked up. We're just reading this. He says, it shall be done for you. I'm still, like, just dumbfounded about this. Like, Jesus is healing her daughter, but he's addressing her. He's ministering to her needs, and her need happens to be her daughter who is demon-possessed. Like, there's really no mention of her daughter other than her daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. He says, it'll be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Other accounts say that she went there and she saw her daughter was totally healed. It's just a beautiful picture of how this lady's faith works itself out. And so I'm going to say a few points about her later on. But so from our story, we're going to move. Um, from Tyre, they're going, to, they're going to work their way around to the... Uh, what is that? I'm not sure how many sides there are. That's, you know, well, I don't want to say octagon because I don't think that's sexagon. Is that what it is? Hexagon. I went to public school. I know. I'm just. I'm joking. I'm joking. I, I mean, I, 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 there's public schoolers that don't like my jokes about going to public school. So <laughs> I can't blame the public school for what happened to me. Like, um, sexagon. Uh, yeah, I wasn't paying attention. That's. I was doing other things whenever you learned that. Uh, I was surfing, I think, probably. So they made their way around to this area. So we have the Sea of Galilee. We have, so Capernaum, home base for Jesus. 
we come to the other side in the accounts. This is like, you should hear the other side with spooky mu music. This is the, the, the Decapolis, the region of the ten cities, Gentile cities. This, this was a place to be avoided. Um, the, these are all Gentiles. Jesus was not well received in this place. So we see departing from there, Jesus went along by the sea of Galilee. Having gone up on the mountain, he was sitting there. Okay, so now before I move on, I need us to go, let's back up a few chapters to Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. I, I want to introduce you to the guy who the story is really about. This, this story back in Matthew, this account, I, I truly believe this is one of my favorite stories of the whole Bible. Anna like, doesn't understand, like, how is that your favorite story in the whole Bible? Like, like it's a beautiful picture of God's grace, his redemption. And so we're going to go back. So here we are in Matthew chapter 8, uh, verse 22. If I can find it here in my Bible. Um, actually, that might be a typo. Oh, 28. Sorry. I'm, the account's also in Luke chapter 8, verse 22. But in Matthew, it's chapter 8, verse 28. Um, so we're in Matthew 8, verse 28. And this is the story. When he came to the other side, spooky music, into the country of the Gadarenes, two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of their tombs. They were so extremely violent that no one could pass by that way. And they cried out, saying, What business do we have with each other, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now there was a herd of many swine feeding at a distance from them. The demons began uh, to entreat him, saying, If you are going to cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. And they came and they went into the swine. They came out and went into the swine. And the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished into, in the waters. The herdsmen ran away and went to the city and, and reported everything, including what had happened to the... Uh, that was the word I should have pre-read this. Um, that was the word that killed me back then. De de demoniacs? Did we agree on that last time? Those that were demon-possessed. Um, and behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they implored him to leave their region. So the Gospel of Luke kind of gives us some other, some highlights of, about this story. <clears throat> so they go to the other side. As they're going over there, the disciples are already sort of, they have some anxiety because no good self-respecting Jew would be found on the other side. This is this is Gentile country. This is bad things, false gods. As they make their commute there, Jesus is a sound asleep in the, in the back of the boat. Um, a huge storm kicks up. They think they're all going to perish. They think that this is God's punishment on them for, for venturing to this part of the lake. Jesus gets up. He calms the storm. It's early morning. They go there, and these two crazy guys chained up naked. They'd been cutting themselves. Uh, we're told that they, the people there tried to, to contain them, and they couldn't. They're hanging out in a graveyard. And these are the people who welcomed them to this land. And so the whole story goes, they cast out the, the, the demons into the pigs. The pigs basically run off the cliff and go into the water. They all drown. Luke only follows the story of the one man. So he's healed. He gets clothes on. He's sitting in his right mind. The people come out and they see him. They don't deny that this man has been supernaturally changed, that he's been healed and set free from these demons that had so... Uh, wrecked havoc on his life. 
by the time the crowds get the reports of their economy, these pigs, now don't, they weren't Jewish. There was, no, there was no restrictions on them against pork. But they see like their whole industry just floating on the edges of the Sea of Galilee, that all these dead pigs are there. And they basically kick Jesus out of their town. They say, depart from here, get out of here. We don't want your, just leave us and stay gone. And at the end of the story, Matthew doesn't record it, but if we were to go over to Luke, you can go back to where we are in Matthew chapter 15. Luke says that as all of the people are, are, are chasing Jesus out of town, that man basically standing on the boat with Jesus and the disciples, and he says, I want to follow you. I want to go with you. And all through the Gospels, we say, Jesus saying, come, follow me, come, follow me. But this man that was healed, there was no come follow me. He, he wanted everything to follow Jesus. This story has had, like I've wrestled with this story as I became a Christian, as I started Bible college. The, the last time I deployed, I, it was De- December-ish to June of 2001. And I remember feeling called into the ministry, feeling called, like I didn't know anything about Valley Baptist Church. I had no idea where I'd end up. But over in the Middle East, really being challenged by this story, saying, Lord, I want to follow you. I thought, well, well, if you become a Christian, you start following Jesus. That just means that you got to go, like, go into the ministry. Like, I didn't really know much about missionaries at that point. I, I just felt like I had to leave what I was doing. And I remember that this story really challenged me. So I had some, some really wrestling with God. And it, like, I was in Bahrain and Kuwait and all around there, like, wrestling with God, saying, Lord, if you don't want me to go into the ministry, if, like, like, I'm, I'm willing to stay in. the. T- I'm willing to go to Bible college and seminary and just stay an active duty Navy SEAL if this is what you want me to do. And I remember Ann and I were sort of in our, like, whatever phase. We weren't married. <laughs> we're really, like, you know, checking each other out, like, checking our, like, where are you going in life? Like, are you, we, we going in the same direction? And I remember this was part of one of those, like, I really liked Anna. And Anna really liked me, but I remember kind of talking with her. I'm like, I, I, I want to do whatever God wants me to do. And if that means staying in the military, I have to be willing to, like, do that. And she's like, well, that's great. I totally support you, but that doesn't mean I'm going to marry you. <laughs> like, because that's like a, like, and so there was this wrestling match. Would I, and I remember kind of being out there sort of like I said, Anna, we can't, we're just like, we can't, like, I have to be willing to do this. And then went through this whole wrestling match. And then Jesus said, no, leave the military. Like, I really felt like he con- convinced me to leave. And so sometimes call, come and follow me doesn't necessarily mean, like, I, I believe that Jesus has called the majority of us that following him means you stay in your secular job, stay connected to those that don't know Christ. He needs you. And so this guy basically leaves the disciples. The disciples cross over to the other side. This, this guy who was demon-possessed is now set free and healed. And Jesus says, you go to your cities, your people, your friends, your family, and you tell them what happened to you. And he did. And this is the next time Jesus comes back. The last time Jesus was run out of town. And so, so to me, this whole story, the story we have, the feeding of the 4,000, this is different than the feeding of the 5,000. Liberal scholars say, oh, this is just one. But Jesus next week, we'll see. Jesus references two feedings. This is how Jesus is received because of this one man and the difference that one person can make. So verse 30. 
And large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others. And they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. Think about this. The last time Jesus was there, they, he was run out of town. When he comes back, he has like the king's welcome that all of these people want to hear his teaching. They, they want to be healed. They want Jesus to minister to them. And Jesus does, verse 31, so the crowds marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the cripple restored, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. This is beautiful. Don't let this escape you. This is Matthew, the tax collector, the, the, the Jew writing. Sandwiched on, you know, this, if today's passage is sort of the meat, on the bread of this sandwich, we see the criticism of the Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees and all of the Jews railing against Jesus and rejecting him. And here we have these Gentiles, and we're told that these Gentiles, that they glorified the God of Israel. That those who are on the outside, they came to understand and to believe that this Jesus is the, the Messiah, the promised one the, the, of the son of David. They responded. And Jesus called his disciples and said, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days. The three days Jesus is teaching, healing. With You don't get the idea that he's taking a break. This is just nonstop ministry. And not only is he meeting their, phys- like their, their spiritual needs, but he has compassion on their physical needs. And I think there's a lesson, like God cares that we, you know, that we have our daily bread, that he can't, like, like, like the, the great deep theological implications that we all have missed the mark of God, that we all are sinners and that our sin makes us condemned before the God of the universe. And we know that Christ came, he died, he paid the penalty for our sins so that we might have life, that we might have salvation, as Larry said, that we might be born again. But he also cares that they have lunch. And he cares that we have lunch. It's not yet John Jory. I know he's like, he's starting like lunch. (laughs) I got to make fun of him all the time. Just wait till you see him eat. You'll know. (laughs) Um, Okay, so we're talking about lunch somewhere in here. Oh, yeah. um, They've been with me for three days, verse 32, and they have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry, for they might faint on the way. The disciples said to him, where did we get so many loaves in this desolate place to satisfy such a large crowd? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few small fish. So the last story, there were five loaves that were like little crackers and two little sardines. This one, they now have seven, uh, seven uh, loaves of bread and a few small fish. Certainly not enough to feed. If there's 4,000 men, this is still where... We're talking about ten to 15,000 people total, including women and children. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fish, and giving thanks, he broke them and started giving them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, the seven large baskets full. Um, before we had how many left over? There were 12 baskets that were all full. Um, I'm, not, I'm not a big numbers guy, 
and I don't like to make big deals, but it's like, well, the 12, there's 12 tribes of Israel. That there seemed to be a symbolicness there. Um, some have suggested, well, seven large baskets could <clears throat> refer to the seven, like, like the, the, the leading nations of the time. Uh, I, I tend not to make big deal about numbers, but, but, but sort of the implication here is in, in this story that, that Jesus cares about the Gentiles. He cares about all people. And those who ate were 4,000 men beside women and children. And sending away the crowds, Jesus got in the boat and he came to the region of Magdala. Uh, so, so from here, so it says Magadan in there, Mag, Magdala. It's, it's basically south uh, west of Capernaum. There's some names, names variants. Um, and so when I look at these two people in the story, just kind of reflecting, these are, this is the story of two Gentiles in this very Jewish book. There's, there's great hope. There's great example that we could see. Here is this Gentile woman, this outsider, who she didn't let barriers sort of restrict her faith. These, these, these obstacles that, that were placed before her were really opportunities for her faith to shine, for her to place her trust in Christ and, and to give him the opportunity to move in her behalf. I think so often... I'm guilty all the time as I get these situations and I, I naturally think, well, I'll just solve the problem on my own. And then I go to my wit's end to where it's like, I can't do this. And now where I go, it's like, oh yeah, I probably should have been praying about this. And then we see this guy, like the guy's not mentioned in the story, but this whole story to me is about this, this man that we read about in chapter eight, this man whose life was transformed, this man who just followed in obedience as he, as he went out and shared with his neighbors and just lived out his life and people saw what Christ had done, that, that he had an impact. And I think that if we allow God to move in our life, if we allow, if we allow him to, to sanctify us, we allow him to make us more like Christ, people around us will notice and you'll, you'll naturally make a difference. And I, I, I love this, that this is, shows that Jesus cares about their community. He cares about meeting the needs and I'm reminded for us that God's still working in this way for us, that we still have neighbors. We still have a community and a nation that, that, that we're not in a Christian nation. But God is still calling us as his followers to be his ambassadors, to be his light, to reach out to the world around us, uh, demonstrating who Christ is. Uh, let's close in prayer. Uh, Father, I do thank you for your word. I thank you for these two stories. I thank you for the beautiful um, story of this woman, Lord, her, her so desperate and so in need of you. All of us are like that, Lord. I pray that you would help us to learn from her example, that you would help us, Lord, uh, to humble ourselves from you, by, in front of you, Lord, that we would um, just be thankful, Lord, uh, for that which you've given us. And Lord, you have poured out your blessings so um, abundantly upon us, Lord. As Americans in this time of age, we, we don't truly know poverty. The, the, the poorest in our nation are, the, are, are wealthier than, than many, many humans of, uh, in human history. And so, Lord, I pray that you would change the posture of our hearts, Lord. May we have gratitude. May we have humility before you. Um, Father, I thank you for the story of this man, this, this guy who was so crazy and so out of his mind and, and, and so on the outskirts of society. 
And Lord, you ministered to him, you cared for him, you healed him. And to see his, to see his active obedience, to see how you used him, Lord, to, to reach so many. And Father, I don't know what you've called each one of us to do, but Lord, I pray that you would help us to come into right relationship with you. Father, I pray that you would help us to uh, be obedient to the calling that you've given each one of us in Christ. Father, help us to be a, a good light um, to the world around us. Lord, we are so thankful for how you love us, how you care for us. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.